Well, let's take our Bibles and turn now to 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter 4, good to have the young people here with us um, from Youth or Teen Church. Glad they're here this morning. 1 John chapter 4 is our text here this morning. <clears throat> we didn't run the buses this morning. Um, what was it? Negative seven windshield, something like that. I think is what windshield was. We run them if it's negative six, but we don't hit negative seven. Something like that. Didn't run them today. All right. Okay. First John chapter four. That's our uh, that's our our text. That's our new theme. Our new theme is going to come out of this. So I wanted to preach on that this morning. And uh, we'll do, do some more preaching on it along the way in the course of the year. I do look forward to getting back into our study of the book of Matthew. For those of you that maybe are guests, a reminder to all of us, we're in a study of the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is king. He is king. And we need to acknowledge that. And so we'll start back maybe in a couple Sundays uh, from now in Matthew chapter 11. And I really look forward to getting back uh, to that study as well, but I do look forward this morning to preaching on our theme for this year. First John chapter four, verse number seven. First John four and verse seven. These would be familiar verses, perhaps, <clears throat> but not always practice verses. Isn't that right? Okay, let's look at them now. Beloved, let us love one another. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Let us love one another. But how many of you say that's challenging because we know one another, right? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not Knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Verse 10. Again, very much related to the song that we heard earlier. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Earlier in chapter 2, John had commented on this matter of propitiation and said that He's a propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Beloved, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, the idea there is since he so loved us, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Let me read verse 12, and, um, and that'll be our text. No, no man 
has seen God at any time. But notice this. <clears throat> if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. So no man has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. That's astounding. I, I don't know that we'll be able to get to that verse and really expound upon it, but we'll, well, we've got, we've got 51 more Sundays after this one where we may. Okay. So this morning, um, our, our new theme for this year is love God's way. Love God's way. You could take that as a verb. Love God's way. Love God's way. It's an imperative. Love God's way. You could take it as a noun. Love God's way. You hear it? Love God's way. We need to know something about that, don't we? Love God's way. This morning, we're going to focus on the first part of that, experiencing God's love. Experiencing. By that, I mean knowing God's love. I want to say to you this morning, God loves you. God loves you. You say, I already knew that. Well, you need to know it. God loves you. God loves you. And those who know God's love ought to show God's love. So let's pray. Father, one more time, I'd like just to pray. I believe I, I'm convinced, dear God, in my heart and mind that this is the theme, however you want to use it, but I'm, I'm just totally convinced that at this juncture in our nation's history and in our church's life as well, that this is exactly the thing that you've put on my heart, Lord, I confess I'm certainly fallible and could have misunderstood or not really sought your faith about it, but I, I believe this is what you want us to consider. I believe it's needed. I believe it's timely. Uh, Lord, um, our world is trying to fix a problem without you, and it'll never be done. So God, I pray that you'd help us who know you to show others your love because we're recipients of it. So I pray you'd help us, Lord, as, as those that have experienced your love, help us to extend it to others, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> the Bible often emphasizes God's love for us. I don't believe I'll run out of verses or text to preach with this thing. That's for sure. Passages like this, just listen to a few, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7. This is uh, to Israel, but uh, nonetheless, certainly we can understand something about God's love for the, by the way that he loved Israel and by the way that he loves Israel. He says, uh, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you are more in number than any people. For you're the fewest of all people, God said to Israel. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you up with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's saying this, listen, there wasn't anything special about you that caused God to love you. God loved you because God loved you. 
chose to love you. Uh, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31 and verse uh, number 13 or verse three rather says this, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Again, to Israel, but nonetheless, we understand something about God's love by the way he loved Israel and the way that he loves us. You say, when's he gonna include us? He's including you in that one as well. I've loved thee. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Thank God that his love doesn't go up and down for us based on our performance. Thank God that his love is not like our love. Conditional. Picky, choosy. We choose to love some and not others. God loves all. But God, Romans 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God, uh, Ephesians 2, uh, it was conveyed in the song, Ephesians 2 and verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, can you say amen to that this morning? He's rich in mercy. In fact, you're here this morning because he's rich in mercy. You're, if you're saved this morning, you're saved because he's rich in mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. You see, in the first three verses of chapter two, he'd been describing how that we're dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And yet God, who is rich in mercy with his great love, his great love wherewith he loved us, it's like Paul couldn't say enough about his love. His great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he says in verse number five, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Let us never grow old. Let us never grow weary of hearing the fact that, that we're saved by grace through the love of God. What a blessing. With all these verses and more, I could go on for, for probably a year at least. In fact, we'll go on for all of eternity about the love of God. But with all these verses, isn't it a wonder that we can still doubt his love, still question his love? In fact, I just read, maybe you did as well as you finished out reading the Old Testament and you read in Malachi and in Malachi. In fact, one of the, uh, one of the keys, um, I just started using a, a, a new Bible uh, for my personal Bible reading, it's Rock of Ages Study Bible. Really good study notes. Brother Vara gave me, uh, gave me the Bible. It's really a blessing. But anyways, it pointed out that the word wherein is one of, the, one of the keys to understanding the book of Malachi because God says, I have done this. And they say, wherein have you done that? God says, okay, today's all tithe Sunday. I'm not preaching on tithing, but it certainly applies. God says, you've robbed me. You've robbed me. They said, wherein have we robbed you? You hear it? Wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Southwest Baptist Church has been robbed. Okay, let me say it right. God has been robbed by the members of Southwest Baptist Church who haven't tithed. Oh, should we report this? Should we contact the news? There's been a, a great theft, thousands of dollars, thousands of maybe millions, I don't know, thousands of dollars stolen from God at Southwest Baptist Church by the members that don't tithe. I hope that'll help you tithe. All right, anyways, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, the love of God. 
Book of Malachi, God says uh, through Malachi, listen to this. This is right, I mean, this is verse two of Malachi 1. I mean, right off the bat, he says this to, to people that had gotten away from him. He says this, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherein hath you loved us? That's what the people said. Wherein, let me make sure I read this right. Wherein hast thou loved us? God says, I've loved you. And, you, and yet the people were saying, wherein have you loved us? Now, folks, let's be honest today. It's not just Israel that's had that problem through the ages. God says, I loved you. And yet we can think of some conditions. We can think of some situations. We can think of some life circumstances or we can think about some family situation today and say, well, God, if you love me, then why? Why is this going on then? Why don't I have this? Why do they get that and I don't? Why is this going on in my family? God, if you've loved me, why? Wherein have you loved me? I don't see it. Look to Calvary, friend. Amen. Uh, Dwight L. Moody said this, I know of no truth in the whole Bible. Everybody listen to this. Listen real careful right here. It's a good quote. I know of no truth in the whole Bible that ought to come home to us with such power and tenderness as that of the love of God. And yet, he says, there is no truth in the Bible that Satan would so much like to blot out. For more than 6,000 years, Satan has been trying to persuade men that God does not love you. He did so in the garden, didn't he? If, you, if you're in your Bible reading, you see in, John, in Genesis chapter 3, um, as God is, has put them in a perfect environment. I mean, friend, listen, it was a perfect environment. And yet Satan tried to make God look like he was holding something back from them. That's exactly how Satan will work in your life. He'll make you think God doesn't really love you. Because if he loved you, he wouldn't let that happen. If he loved you, he let you have this. He's holding back on you. God doesn't really love you. That's Satan's lie, friend. I'm saying to you today, that's Satan's lie. It doesn't matter if you grew up with a dad or without a dad or with a mom or without a mom. Hey, I'm saying to you today, God loves you. He loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done today. Can you believe that? I said, it doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. There's a hang up in our minds. Oh no, God couldn't love me because I've, I've crossed this line right here. This is the third time in John's brief letter that he's emphasized love one another. Look, at, look real quick. Let's do some work here. Okay, we're going to go to work on this. I believe this is worthy of all of our attention and you're doing a great job doing, giving attention. I sure do appreciate that. It helps preaching when God's people are awake and attentive. Attentive. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 10. Real quick, real quick. Chapter 2 and verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there's none occasion of stumbling in him. Look at chapter 3 and verse 14. Chapter 3 and verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. There it is again. We love the brethren. We, if you walk, if you love, then you're in the light. If, if you love one another in church and, and, and uh, there's love here, there's love between the brothers. And I thank God today. I thank God that there's the love that there is at Southwest Baptist Church. But it's not like we've reached some plateau where we've suddenly excelled as far as we're going to excel in loving one another. No, listen, friend, I think God wants us to love one another. 
And he says, listen, I, you're in the light if you're loving one another and there's no occasion of stumbling in him. I'm not sure yet, but we may be preaching through the book of 1 John. So I'm not going to make a lot of comment on all of these. 1 John chapter 3 says, if you love one another, he says, we know we've passed from death to life unto life because we love the brethren. In other words, it's evidence of your spiritual life that you love one another. And then here on the third time, he says in chapter uh, four, he says, brothers, brethren, verse 11, if God so loved us, verse 11, he says, let us love one another. I'm sorry, verse seven says, let us love one another. Verse 11 says, let us love one another. Verse 12 says, love one another, love one another, love one another. Do you see it three times? In a short fashion, he says, love one another. What do you think we ought to do? Love one another. It's not complicated. It's not like we don't know that. So why is he emphasizing that so much? Love. Usually um, when we think about love, we think about, you know, like romantic love. And certainly that, that is, uh, is part of it. Uh, Jill, age six, said this, love is foolish, but I might still give it a try sometime. <laughs> Dave, if you want to know about love, just ask a kid, right? Dave, age eight, said this, love will find you even when you're trying to hide from it. He said, I've been trying to hide from it since I was five. But girls still keep finding me. Love, what is love? We're talking about love God's way. What is love? Well, obviously it's affection. It's affection. It's... Um, it's being loyal to someone. But we need, we need to consider this, don't we? Loyalty. Holding in high regard. It's appreciation. Um, I've, I've just got a host of definitions here. To be full of goodwill and exhibit the same. Goodwill. Uh, to have regard for one another and, and to exhibit it take pleasure in a thing, to prize it above all other things. Now, see, we, the reason I want to take some time to define this is because we, you, we use the word love in so many different ways. We say, man, I love coffee. And that's a good love. Right. I take pleasure in a thing. I prize it above all other things. Well, that's going too far, perhaps, right? Uh, being, un, being unwilling to abandon it or do without it. Okay, so uh, see, that does apply to coffee, does it? No, 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 no. Okay, for the sake of just having something to really work with here this morning at least, <clears throat> listen to this definition of love by John Stott. It's rather short, but I, I think that it, it really does kind of bring it all into one place. Love is self-sacrifice. Which means this, he, he elaborates. The seeking of another's positive good at one's own cost. Can I run that by you one more time? The seeking of another's pos positive good at one's own cost. So given that definition, if I'm to love my wife the way that I'm supposed to, then I'm supposed to seek her positive good at my own cost. Okay, what does that look like? Okay, this is where it gets tough because it's, it's easy to love somebody in the abstract. It's difficult to love somebody in concrete. In other words, it's a great idea, but it's hard to practice. 
All right. So what does it look like? Well, maybe she's got a lot on her hearts and her heart and and uh, she wants to, to share those things. You know, Sunday, I'm doing a lot of the talking. It's my one day of the week to talk a lot as a preacher. Right. I expend all my words from here on a Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. She's talking to people. I'm talking to people. In fact, Sundays, ironically, are one of the days when we're not around each other a whole lot. So she comes uh, home Sunday night, ready to say, hey, I talked to so-and-so. I talked to this person. And, and she wants to tell me everything. I've just said everything that I knew for that day. <laughs> I'm ready to tune out. She's ready to tune in. I'm ready for Monday, Sunday night football or I'm ready for Andy Griffith's show. And she's ready to talk. Okay, so what love says, okay, what love says is I'm going to seek her good at my own personal cost. So I'm going to set aside what I want to do to tune in to what she has to say. Is this making sense? Okay, enough of that, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> here's, here's where we get it mixed up. Here's, here's what we're naturally inclined to do. I'm going to seek my good at your cost. I'm going to seek my good at your cost. That's love man's way. I'm going to seek my good at your cost. Because a lot of what is called love in our society is nothing more than lust. And I'm going to seek my good at your cost. Some young man sees some young lady that he likes and he goes after her and, and, and is inappropriate with her. Here's what he's doing. He doesn't really love her. He's seeking his good at her cost or vice versa. Do you see this? Let's love man's way. Here's what we got to focus on. Love God's way. Seeking your good at my cost. Seeking your good at my cost. Love God's way. How many say, I think I need to enroll in that class right there? How many say, I'm going to need some help. I'm probably going to need a tutor along the way. I'm probably going to need some study hall. I'm, I'm, I'm going to need some study. I'm going to need some help right here. I can guarantee it because it's not in us. I'm, I am more prone to seek my good at your cost rather than your good at my cost. But thank God, here's, here's our example. God sought all of our good at his own cost. God loves you. You see, we're, we're in a society even that doesn't value life. You know, this month marks the anniversary of, of, of Roe v. Wade. And, and um, I'm reading through uh, still the book, Slouching Towards Gomorrah. Can I just share this with you? I, I was reading, I've got a big lengthy quote here and I'm not going to read through it. But I'm just going to summarize it right here to say is he's, this is Robert Bork who wrote, you know, back in the 90s, I, I may be wrong on the actual date, but he talked about how that, how that abortion is taking the life of a human being. And he said somebody that has studied ninth grade biology would understand scientifically. Now, this man's not a Christian. This man is a Jew, but he's recognizing God, that God gives life. But here's what he said scientifically. When conception takes place, that which is now in existence, that organism 
that Roe v. Wade in that case inappropriately referred to as potential life. That's not right. It's a life with potential. Did you hear that? It's not potential life. It is life. It's a life who has potential. He said this, he said that when, when that conception takes place, that fertilization of the egg takes place, then listen to this, scientifically, here's what you have. 46 chromosomes in that one cell. 46. That's the same thing that the mother and father have. In other words, this is not a part of that woman's body. It is its own body. She's got her chromosomes. That little one within her has its own set of chromosomes that makes it not a blob, that makes it not tissue, that makes it a living being who has just as much right to life as anybody else who's got 46 chromosomes. In fact, he quoted another uh, phys uh, physicist who said this, that in that, in that being there of those 46 chromosomes, there's enough information to fill volumes of book like you'd find in the Encyclo Encyclopedia Britannica. Remember that? Remember when you used to not Google stuff, but you looked it up in a book off the shelf? And a bunch of them? He said this, this is astounding, but we're so fearfully and wonderfully made that in that little baby, in that little one that's in the womb, there's enough information right there about her DNA or his DNA and all, all of life. I mean, I can't even wrap my brain around how much information is packed in there if you were to write it all out. And yet, it's viewed as an inconvenience or it's viewed as a burden. You know what it is? It's love man's way. I love myself too much to carry this little one. I love my career too much to do this. This is not the right time for us. Hey, listen, friend, you decided that too late. It's a life. That's a person. It's a living being. Love God's way is going to say, I'm going to raise this child. It's not a blob, it's not tissue, it's a person. Amen. I didn't finish the chapter. The rest of the chapter is about euthanasia and assisted suicide and so forth. But here's why, because when you get on that slope where you don't recognize life and you don't love the way that God wants us to love, then it's all about you at everybody else's cost. And we're going to get rid of the elderly because they're really a burden to our society because it's kind of slowing us down. And world population, I mean, people that are supposed to have brains are saying things like this. The world is overpopulated. Have you flew in a plane lately? Have you driven across the plains of, of Oklahoma and Kansas and Texas? Have you seen how much land is out yonder? We're not overpopulated. This whole world can handle quite a few more human beings. Don't believe a lie that says that life is not important. That's not even a life. No, that's a lie from Satan that is saying God doesn't love you and God doesn't love him and God doesn't love her and they're a burden to our society. We just need to get rid of them. No, that's a lie because God loves every single one of them. And God loves you today, my friend. He loves you. Ironically, 
I finished reading that chapter Thursday morning, or half of that chapter Thursday morning, and that, that very morning, December the 30th, I finished, filled out an application. For Brother Brian and Miss Vanessa Harris, who are applying for adoption, to bring a little one into their home. I tell you what, when I filled out that application on their behalf as a reference for them, having read that chapter, it made me look at it different. It made me glad to get to do something to say, God loves that little one. When you love God's way, we're in a, in a culture that is saying all kinds of things. But we left God's love far behind. How do you know God loves you? How do we know? It's in his very nature, friend. Beloved, listen to the love coming from the John, right? Beloved, beloved. Let us love one another. For love is of God. In other words, he's saying this, love comes from God. Love comes from God. One of, one of the things I enjoy doing is, is hiking or maybe just exploring. And I, I just went out in the Stitchcomb Wildlife Refuge for a little bit on, on, third, on Friday and, and just was hiking. There's parts of it I hadn't been through and I was just kind of tracing the river as where it goes. But listen, if, if you trace a river back to its source, it's, it's quite a journey. But listen, if you trace love, I'm talking about true, real, biblical love back to its source, here is who you'll find. God. Because love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God. In other words, they've been born again because love, listen to this, love is a fruit of the Spirit. That means you've got to have the Spirit's help to give God kind of love. You say, well, don't lost people love one another? Don't lost people, unregenerate people, don't they love their family? Sure, they love their family. Sure, they, sure they have a, a measure of that. I'm not saying that. In fact, Jesus recognizes how that the Gentiles care for the, one another. But here's the, here's the difference. Their love has stipulations. And their, that kind of love also sometimes, even though it is seemingly a love for another person, and oftentimes it's under the guise really of self-love. We can do that as well. I was uh, visiting our hometown of Bowling Green, Kentucky, and, and that's been hit by all these storms. And, and as I'm on a run, I came across a young man and his younger brother that was helping this elderly lady. Or actually, I think at the time, they were just cleaning up some of their own stuff. But he had helped an individual cross the street with some of their major big trees that were down and fence that was, that was down. And, and then he had his whole garage stocked full of items. And he'd already made over 100 deliveries to people in Bowling Green that needed help. Hey, this, this young man, and I asked him about his church life, and I didn't get to talk to him about spiritually. So maybe the young man is saved. I don't know, but he hadn't been in church in years and he's in his maybe thirties or so. I'm just simply saying, I don't think the young man is here in a place like that where he's done, he's not doing that out of love for people. But, but if we are to be biblical about it, he's, God is saying love is of God. In fact, it does trace back to God even still because God cares for people through people. 
Love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, now wait a minute. Hang on. Is it possible that you could be born again and yet not love people the way you ought to love people? It is possible. That's why verse 8 reads like it reads. For love, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In other words, he's not, he didn't say there, he that loveth not is not born of God because he's writing to people. Hey, hang on, just follow me here just a moment. He that, he's writing to people that did know God by regeneration, by the new birth, being born again, born into God's family. He's writing to people that were that way, but that needed the exhortation to love one another. And so he says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now that could be applied to somebody that's lost and they don't know God, but it could also be applied, applied to the rest of us who are in a new birth relationship with God. In other words, God is our Father, and yet we're not in a right relationship with God in the sense of knowing God, knowing God by way of relationship, so that, are you following me here? So that His love comes through us. In other words, there's a breakdown somewhere when a believer doesn't love others the way they should. And it's not the new birth defect. Because there's, hang on, did, did that make sense? There's no defect in the new birth. So that's not the problem. Here's the problem. We're just not in tune with God the way that we ought to be. You can know God loves you, friend, because of his very nature. It is the very nature of God to love you. He cannot do otherwise. I said he cannot do otherwise. He is love. God is, look at the last part of verse 8. God is love. Look at verse 16. God is love. Notice it's not written this way. Love is God. Grammatically, it doesn't work that way. I mean, there's a technical reason for that, and I'm not going to get into it, but, but technically it's this way. You have to say God is Love. In other words, love doesn't define God. God defines love. Why are, you, why are you making a big deal about that? Well, there are people in our society that are waving a banner and saying, God is love. We can, we can commit whatever sexual sin we want to and leave in, live in deviance to his revealed will. But God is love. You can't do that. Not and be right about it. Because if you look back at chapter one and verse number five, it says, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Did I lose anybody? God is light. God is love. Which is it? Yes. Both of them. Well, what does that mean? God is light means in him is no darkness at all. In other words, there's no sin in God. Listen, he won't because he can't tolerate it. Well, we're in a heap of trouble because all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every person here has sinned. God is light and in Him is no darkness. At all? At all? No darkness at all? In his, God is light? How are you going to get into His presence if you've got darkness in you? 
There's another descriptor of God. Description of God. God is love. Watch this. God is light. You can't tolerate sin. God is love. God loves sinners. How do you bring those two together? How do you bring those two together? God is light. God is love. How can the two be reconciled? Well, in fact, in his love, he exposes, by light, he exposes our sin. I said in his love. By the way, everything God does is loving. He can't do otherwise. Everything God does is loving. In fact, it is loving of God that he tells us who we really are, that he exposes our sin. It's loving of God that he does not tell us what we want to hear, but that he tells us what we need to hear. It's loving of God that he is that way. So then how can these two be reconciled? God is love. God is light. They are in such conflict. No, no, not when you understand who he is and what he did to show his love. In this, I'm at verse nine. In this was manifested, demonstrated, exposed, revealed. Hang on, don't nobody tune out right here. In this was manifested, in this was exposed, in this was revealed the love of God because he sent his son that we might live through him. Amen. He who is loving, he who is light, sent his son to die in your place because he loved you. And because he's the light, he couldn't just sweep it under the rug and say, oh, try better next time. No, he who is righteous as a judge had to deal with sin righteously. And the only way that he could deal with sin righteously is if he poured out his wrath on an innocent person who never sinned. If all of our sin was put on him, that's how he can be light Light and love at the same time. And that's why verse 10 says this, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? Well, that's a big, big word with several syllables. What does that mean? That means this. Propitiation means a wrath-removing sacrifice. Oh, man. God's, God's angry with us. God's wrath is going to be poured out on us. We've got to do something. I'm going to appease God with this sacrifice. No, you're not. You're a sinner. There's nothing a sinner can do to appease the wrath of God. So when there's nothing you could do to save yourself, He did everything Amen. Himself. 
And he is the propitiation, the wrath-removing sacrifice. That's what the word means. Oh, mercy. In fact, that's exactly right. That, that wasn't just a figure of speech there. The word propitiation is used in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 5 about the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. You know the Ark of the Covenant that they carried around and, and it had the Ten Commandments inside and it had a, a lid similar to this lid here on this, this pulpit that, that was there and was a flat surface and, and it was pure gold and you had the cherubims over, overlooking it protecting the glory and the honor of God on both sides, but it's a picture of how that God from heaven is looking down. And so without the blood, hang on, watch this just a minute. Without the blood, he's seeing the broken commandments. But here's what the high priest would do every year in, 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 in the Jewish world as God prescribed. The, the, the high priest would bring the blood of an innocent lamb and come. And here's what he would do. He would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle the blood on the place of propitiation. It's the same word, propitiation. It's a place where our sins are atoned so that when God, figuratively speaking here, as he looks down on those that are saved, he's not seeing the broken commandments, but he's seeing the blood, the precious blood of his son that was shed for sinners. And thus you're set free, set free because he loved you and he dealt with your sin on the cross. How do I know God loves me? It's his very nature. How do I know God loves me? He died, sent his son to die on the cross for you. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Why does it say the sins of the whole world? Well, the Calvinists would say, well, this the world of the elect. He was the propitiation, the wrath removing sacrifice for the, for the sins of the elect. So the elect could be saved. Hang on just a minute, friend. You just, did, you just did some linguistic gymnastics that are impossible for a man to do because that's not what the word says. It said he died for the sins of the whole world. You know what that means? That means everybody. That means this. That means that God loves people that will never love him back. That means this, 2 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 1, he, they were denying, talking about false prophets and teachers. They deny the Lord that bought them. That bought them. Deal with that. Deal with that. He bought them. Bought who? He bought even those that would go to hell. He paid the price for those that would even deny him, that would reject him. I'm telling you, it is an unlimited atonement. He died for all. Therefore, all can be saved. Why? Because God loves all men. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Heard a message I think D.L. Moody preached about a young man that preached for seven straight nights. Seven straight nights on John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. On the, on the seventh night, he said, folks, listen, I've been trying to tell you just how much God loves you. And for seven nights, we've been considering John 3, 16. And if I went up to heaven, I asked Gabriel, Gabriel, how, how as a messenger of God, as an angel, how could I tell the people how much God loves him? He says, I believe Gabriel would say this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves us. Verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. No man has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, his God abides, dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. 
Here's how the world around you will see and know that God loves them. Because they see God in you loving one another. They can't see God physically. You can't see God physically. I can't see God physically. God is a spirit. And here's how we see the love of God tangibly. We see God loving his people through his people. How do you know God loves you? Who he is, what he did, and what he's doing. That's the three parts that we've looked at. Who he is, God is love. I hear that there was a farmer that put the words God is love on his weather vane, on his barn. And, and somebody said, does that mean that God's love changes with the wind? No, it means this, God's love is steady regardless of which way the wind's blowing. Amen. <laughs> you may have some winds of adversity blowing in your life and it seems like God doesn't love you. No, friend, listen, he loves you any way the wind's blowing. Who he is. What he did on the cross of Calvary says, I love you. It's settled at the cross. He loves you. And then his love is shown through his people. I personally have known the love of God through my wife because she's loved me with God's love. I've known the love of God through my sons. I've known the love of God through Sunday school teachers. I've known the love of God through preachers. I've known, and you have too. I'm not just, not just me, but there have been people that have did that which was positive good for me at their own cost. I've known the love of God through a mom. I've known the love of God through a dad. I've known the love of God through friends. I've known the love of God through church members. This year, God is challenging us to love one another, first of all, God's way. To seek the good of one another at our own cost. Now, it's going to take some time to delve into that to make sure we understand what that looks like. But just briefly, it means this. When you see that person coming that you know, when you ask them how you're doing, they're actually going to tell you. It means this. You don't avoid them and say, I'm going down a different hallway because... No, it says this. I'm going to seek their good at my own cost. That's love God's way. We must need a lot of help with this one. Because God sure said a lot about it. But first of all, before you can get to that part of the verse, let us love one another, you've got to know this, if God so loved us. In fact, I believe today, if we understand that first part of the verse, that God does so love us, loving others comes naturally. God's love doesn't exclude anybody. Who does your love exclude? If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Let's stand together today. I appreciate your attention. If it was a question in your mind about God's love, it's my prayer today in trying to preach this text that that would be forever settled in your heart and mind by who He is, what He did, and what He's doing. He loves you. Today, 
If you've not accepted him as your savior, you're invited to come and receive Jesus. See, I, I want to be clear here. Just because he died for all does not mean that all are automatically saved. The Bible does not teach that. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to recognize you're a sinner and that there's nothing you can do to save yourself and trust who he is and what he did to save you. The free gift of salvation is available to you today because of God's love. <clears throat> and then today, if you are saved, but you need the help of God in this area, then I know he's got what you need and can supply it. I invite you to come as well. Father, would you please bless this invitation now as we get in place and find our place at the foot of the cross to recognize our great need also to thank you for your great love. Lord, we know that you loved us not because of anything in us. There's nothing that we've done or who we are that would merit your love. I thank you, dear God, that you loved us first. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you today that you'll save any sinner that would call upon you for salvation. I pray that you'd speak to hearts in this invitation time in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing page 505. If today God has spoke to you and you're not saved, would you make your way to the front and talk to someone here that can show you from the Bible how to be saved? If you want to come and pray, pray together. Pray with someone. We invite you to come. As Brother Aaron leads the choir, if you'd like to sing along as well, page 505, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. As we sing, would you come?